Hey, friends and fam, it's John. It's time for the J-Mart cast for Monday, March 6th. What's going on? How are you? J-Mart and family are back from Miami Beach from our second vacation of the year. Started off the year pretty great with two vacations, so I'll just start off by saying I'm very grateful for the opportunity that my family and I have had to have such a great time and go out and uh, enjoy ourselves in the warm weather while, you know, we avoided a pretty big snowstorm as it so happened to be right here in Canada. So yeah, had a great time in Miami Beach with my family. We rented a condo up in North Beach this time around. And so Miami Beach is kind of like this little municipality of Miami. It's on an island and it just kind of runs north-south along the coast of Miami. And South Beach is kind of like the main area where there's it's kind of like the downtown area, but north. But there's a beach that basically runs along the entire coast of the island, all connected, actually, even with a connected boardwalk. And we stayed on the north side, a little cheaper over there, less busy, less crazy. Had a great time with the family, spending a lot of time just on a, be- our, on a beach. Our uh, apartment was right beachside, so you would walk out of the apartment, and in less than a minute of walking, you can be on the beach. We would set up for the majority of the day and hang out and swim. It was great. They even The water was just perfectly warm, perfectly clean, clear. And if you swam into the water for about five minutes, there's actually a sandbar, which was nice. So you could swim out for five minutes and reach a place where you could uh, touch down on the sand and chill for a little bit and swim back. So it did that quite a bit. We had good weather mostly and not too windy on most days. A few days were windy, but not too windy in terms of waves, which made it easy enough to swim out to the sandbar and back. Now, one of the days we did end up taking a bus down to South Beach just because you've got to, you know, it's kind of like the downtown area. If you're in Miami Beach, you got to visit South Beach. They got the Muscle Beach over there. So I went out and worked out and just kind of, it's really fun to be, to be there. And we had a kind of a funny, strange trip, I guess, going down because we ended up taking public transit, uh, bus down from North Beach. It was about a 20 minute, uh, bus ride down and, we had a stroller because we got two kids and then the bus driver told us to like, he let us get on with the stroller, but then he was like, you got to take your stroller apart. So that was kind of weird. <laughs> this is the only time ever we, we've had to take a stroller apart in the bus. Like to me, it would seem like the stroller is the safest place for the kid to be because they're strapped in, you know, but we had to anyway, take the kids out, hold them in our arms while have it a stroller disassembled for 20 minutes while we uh, rode the bus south. But it was an awesome time. I had a lot of fun working out at South Beach, at the Muscle Beach, that is. I just did a basic workout, nothing too crazy, just basic push-pull, pull-ups, dips, then a bunch of single-leg squats, Finished the day off doing some muscle-ups. Some people were impressed by the muscle-ups. They came up, asked me some questions. We talked a little bit. It was fun. Then we left with the family, hung out on the beach for a little bit. After a couple hours, it was already like just afternoon. We decided to leave, go have some lunch. And then the kids were kind of getting cranky, so we decided we'd go back to North Beach. But we didn't want to take the bus back anymore. And we're like, you know what? This whole thing's connected by this boardwalk that's on the beach side. Why don't we just take it all the way up? Like, it's going to be a long walk. It was a 10-kilometer 
walk basically from South Beach to where we were staying. So, you know, it takes about an hour and a half to two hours to walk that. So, and obviously the kids weren't going to do it. We had them in the stroller. Luckily, the stroller has like a, a second seat attachment. So both kids got on it. And then we actually ended up taking quite a while to walk up because we made two or three stops for food, drinks, and uh, playgrounds as well. But we made it all the way up. It was a fun adventure. That was kind of like one of the more memorable things we did because all the rest of the time, we just literally just hung out on the beach right by the shore, getting a bunch of sun, got a good tan on, and we made it back today. No issues with the flight, thank God. So we made it back and had a chill Sunday, cleaning up, not making any food today, ordered some Indian. We're good to go. So... What other impressions did Miami leave on me? Um, in the evenings, we would chill a bit and watch some TV. And I swear to God, every other commercials on TV in the States is just drug commercials. So many drug commercials. And the funniest, maybe not the funniest, but maybe the saddest thing about it is a lot of these drugs, the side effects that they list at the end of the commercials are oftentimes worse than the, like the problem that the drug is fixing itself. I saw one, it was um, this drug that was supposed to be prescribed to people. I don't even know what this is called, or at least I don't remember it. But uh, you know when people have darker skin, but it starts to peel away, kind of. It looks like it's peeling away, and all that's left is like this really white skin under it. Um, I forget what that what that's called. But, you know, uh, there's this drug that people can take that was being advertised, but then the side effects it was saying that if you take this drug, you might not be able to uh, fight infection as well. So, you know, your your skin will look better. You won't have this weird kind of patchy white areas all over your skin, but you might not survive the next time you get an infection. So <laughs> take your pick. The other thing I noticed when we were on the beach, I see it's at least South Beach specifically, it seemed like of all the people on the beach, there were actually more people with tattoos than without tattoos. And I was just like, all right, so now if the tattooed people outnumber the ones that don't have them, it's actually, I guess, more cool to not have a tattoo. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's more rare anyway, so I find that kind of strange. Not that I have anything against people having tattoos, but... A lot of times it's just like, they're not even freaking cool tattoos. It's just like some sort of like written quotes or whatever. Like, honestly, if you need to write down a quote to remember it, just save that on your phone. Like, it's going to last way longer. You don't have to do maintenance. It's just there. <laughs> you don't need to write little quotes on your body. Like, just get cool images. Like, don't do, don't make the tattoo artist like write lines on your body. Like, you know, writing lines is for chalkboards when you're being punished, not <laughs> not for tattoos. Anyway, so it's been a while since the most recent JMR cast. Obviously, I didn't do one last week because we left on Sunday. I didn't really do a good job of doing something ahead of time. So apologize for that. Skipped a week. And then prior to that, I had released an interview episode of the JMR cast with my buddy D. Check that episode out, just an interview with him talking about how he became a Bitcoiner and how he works for a Bitcoin company now. I think it's worth a listen. By the way, speaking of Bitcoin, one thing that I would recommend if you're a listener to try to check out my podcast through this uh, podcast app called Fountain. 
If you just search both on iOS and Android and App Store, search Fountain Podcast, it'll come up. And it's a cool podcast app because what it allows you to do is to give value back to the podcaster with Bitcoin just for listening. And you can do tiny, tiny amounts, like less than a cent kind of amounts, which makes it fun, right? Like you can just give whatever value you want to per episode. Uh, there's ways, a couple of ways of doing it. You can do it like a small amounts per minute of listening, or you can just do like a, a larger sum, one sum, one time sum for like per episode. So you can interact with it if you want to. There's, I've actually like it. So you, if you search JMartCast, it should pop up. It's there. And some random people have been sending me sats, actually, Satoshis or Bitcoin um, through that app. Like not large amounts, obviously, very small, tiny amounts, but it's possible to do. And if you're a fan of the show and you like listening to it and you want to support in a small way, I would really suggest you download this Fountain app. Um, you know what? And even if, and when you download it, please let me know and I'll send you some Bitcoin, some Satoshis to have on that podcast wallet. The podcast app, app comes with a wallet and I think they might even give you a few, like a small amount of like bonus amount to have in the, in the wallet. But let me know, I'll send you some and then you don't have to necessarily send that back to me through the podcast app, whatever other podcast you like listening to that might be available there that people have set up where they can receive it, you can send it to them. And it's a really cool way to support the podcast listen, you listen to and do it in a way where it's like small amounts in a way that you can actually technologically do it with Bitcoin, whereas you can't do it with actual uh, dollars, right? Because if you're going to do uh, Canadian dollars, US dollars, whatever fiat currency you're using, the cost of uh, making a, such a small transaction with all the third parties is just impossible. It's not economical. Whereas with Bitcoin, it is because you're getting rid of all the intermediary parties. So yeah, Fountain app, check it out. It's really cool. Even if you don't set up Bitcoin on it, it's it's, it's just a good app for listening to podcasts anyway. Speaking of other apps, there's this new app that I've discovered called Seed Oil Scout app. And this is a cool app for people who like uh, ordering food from restaurants and such because what it does for you is like, I guess the way it works is people uh, will report to the app and then the app, you know, uh, updates and lets everyone know where there are restaurants in your city that have food on the menu that does not use seed oils, right? Seed oils are the oils that come from vegetables, or at least they're marketed from vegetables, but really they're from nuts and seeds that have, that are really high in omega-6 fatty acids. Now, they're marketed as healthier for your heart, but that is absolute bogus. These things are not good for you whatsoever. They cause a lot of inflammation, and they're probably the main or one of the largest driving factors for all the chronic disease that we see is so prevalent these days. So the app is a, is a global app. You can look up any city, but some places have more reports than others. Toronto's not bad. It has a decent amount of uh, restaurants reported, which are seed oil free. So yeah, if that's something important to you, which I think it should be, you should like, you should be avoiding seed oils just in your home cooking, cooking 100%. Like do not be using uh, like sunflower oil, um, canola oil, corn oil, safflower, 
of soybean. Just get rid of all of that. Don't use that for your cooking at home. But unfortunately, those are the cheapest oils. So when you go out to the restaurants, that's what they're going to be using. Because the bottom line is they got to make a profit. And, you know, if they're not going to charge you more, they're going to try to cut down their costs. And this is an easy way to do them, for them to do that because even taste-wise, it's not that big of a difference. You can't really tell. So most restaurants are using seed oils, but some are realizing that there's a market of people who are willing to pay more to not, you know, to avoid these things when they're going out for, uh, you know, restaurant food or even some fast food places as well. So check it out. I really liked it. I haven't actually ordered from any place yet, but, uh, you know, I only just discovered it. So next opportunity, we'll definitely get on it. So yeah, a lot has happened in the news since the last podcast I did. Of course, mid-February, there was the whole, what do you call it, the trial thing that was going to determine whether the Emergencies Act from last year by Trudeau was justified. Surprise, surprise, the judge says it was completely justified that they used an Emergencies Act to trample an old lady with a horse. (laughs) crazy times we live in where that's okay but okay you know the the judge was handpicked by Trudeau so of course he's not going to be telling him telling him oh you did wrong by using the emergencies act for to shut down the trucker protest it's pretty disappointing but very expected unfortunately anyway in other world global news i saw i saw some banks in lebanon being burned so a bunch of Months back, I was talking about how all these banks are closing down because a lot of people are not able to get their money back from the from the banks, so they're going and robbing them. So they're just like completely closing down, and so people are so angry now they're just burning down the banks. <laughs> That's, I mean, it's sad. I, sh- I shouldn't be laughing. It's kind of a serious matter, but I don't know. People are taking matters into their own, their own hands in a violent way when things go crazy, right? The other money-related world news thing is what's happening in Nigeria. So they have this paper money, right? It's called the Naira, fiat currency. And a lot of the economy, a lot of the people use this money as a medium of exchange to do business. Uh, But of course, it's not a very good store of value because, you know, it's being inflated all, all the time. Uh, but, you know, it still works as a medium of exchange. So they got these bills, the I think the 200 Naira bill, 500 and 1,000. And then what this government is doing is they're replacing those bills with new versions of the same denominations. And all the old bills are going to be considered worthless, now no longer accepted, and only the new ones are going to be accepted. And they're basically saying that you have to replace your old ones with the new ones that they've made, but they've not made nearly enough of the new ones to replace all the old ones. So all the money that this these people, these Nigerian people have been saving is going to be completely worthless because of this trick that they've pulled. Oh, your old bills are no longer any good. You got to get new bills. Oh, wait, we don't got new enough new bills to replace everybody. 
oh, by the way, like most of these Nigerian people do not have bank accounts and they just, it's a cash-based society. They just collect this cash and save that. And so a bunch of them are going to be screwed because all the wealth they've accumulated is worthless now because of this trick. It's kind of, it's kind of messed up, but that, this is a common story. It's not just happened in Nigeria. This has happened to like my parents when they lived in the Soviet Union in Armenia. This is a thing. This is a common trick for robbing people when you, you know, control the money. And, you know, one day it will happen here too. It's hard to believe that, but, you know, these people didn't think it was going to happen there, but it did. Let's see what else happened. Yeah, there was that big derailment in Ohio that ended up being like, look, the pictures you see from there look apocalyptic. So basically there was a derailment and a bunch of chemical was spilled, vinyl chloride or something like that. And then from what I understand, it spilled. And then the people who were in charge of the cleanup decided that the best course of action was to burn it. And then burning it caused, I don't know, it seems like worse problems because it spread a lot further. I don't know. It's kind of messed up, but I don't know. It sucks to be the people living there and nearby there because like the food is going to be messed up. The land value, property value is going to be messed up. And yeah, kind of sad situation. I don't know what else to add to that, you know best wishes to those people in figuring out the next steps in their lives and then the last thing news wise that came out was that there's this really famous journalist who's like blown up a bunch of news stories in in the past huge huge stories about like u.s politics and stuff he came out with a story saying that he's got an unnamed source that that confirmed to him that USA or US government sanctioned a mission to blow up the Nord Stream pipeline. So there's these two pipelines from Russia to Germany providing natural gas, which Germany needs to, you know, heat their homes, just energy, cheap energy for them because they're a big producing company, uh, not company, sorry, country. They're a huge, you know, a country with a lot of manufacturing, so they need cheap energy to manufacture a bunch of stuff. But obviously, in addition to that, the heating of the homes is very important as well because winters in Germany are no joke. But both of those <laughs> pipelines got blown up by some scuba divers trained by the American government, sanctioned by them to do so. Kind of crazy. Like, I mean, it was pretty obvious when it happened they even tried to blame Russia, which makes no sense. Why would a country that makes a bunch of money from this pipeline selling <laughs> its natural resources to another country that really needs it blow that up? It was pretty obvious, but this reporter who's got a lot of, I don't know, prestige behind his name because of all the previous stories he's broken without naming a source seems to have pretty definitively proven that U.S. was behind it, given the level of details that he gave in the report that he wrote. Speaking of that, the whole Russia-Ukraine war is somehow still crazily going on. Uh, yeah, I don't know what your guys' views are on that. Obviously, I just want the war to be over as soon as possible and, you know, not to escalate into World War Three. 
Although some people disagree with that. Some people are very pro-Ukraine. You know, they stand with Ukraine. They want Ukraine to fight for as long as they can. Had a crazy conversation with some friends in a group chat where one of them has been watching way too many of these uh, war videos and got his mind completely warped where he's, you know, just hates Russians now. Says shit like fuck him and we need to give nukes back to Ukraine. It's like, okay, bud, we give nukes back to Ukraine. Now we have World War Three with the thermonuclear World War Three and end of civilization. That doesn't sound good to me. No, thank you. Obviously, I'm not pro-Russia. I'm not trying to say that, you know, Russia's doing anything good here by, you know, invading Ukraine or anything like that. But, uh, you know, just seeing this as like Russia bad, Ukraine good, like, fuck Russians and kill them all. Like, I don't, I don't stand for that whatsoever. Like, you know, the governments are the problem. Russian government with Putin, Putin, sorry, Putler, (laughs) Putin, like he's obviously a bad guy. You know, he's after a lot of power. He wants to destabilize the region in a way that all those countries are reliant on Russia. He wants them to be in Russia's sphere of influence. So that's not good, obviously. But then, you know, it's not like the Ukrainian government's any better. Like Zelensky's a U.S. puppet, basically, and he's pretty corrupt. So there are no good guys in this. You know, the the, the only thing is that the people fighting suffer. Like there, there's a lot of innocent people dying, of course, and then there's a lot of soldiers that are made to fight that don't want to fight. Like take you got to take all that into account. You can't just be like, Russia bad, Ukraine good, fuck all the Russians, blow them up, get rid of them. It's just so first layer thinking, not very deep at all. Just consider for a minute that possibly some of these people don't have a choice and are stuck in between a rock and a hard place and there is no good outcome for them. You know, then maybe you might feel a little bit of empathy and not think that you just should blow up all the Russians. (laughs) And having said that, I'm sure there are plenty of Russians that deserve to be blown up. But it's just like crazy attitude to just be like, fuck and blow them up. They deserve it. That's just what I think. (laughs) And on that happy note, I'm just going to move on to a quick Bitcoin update here. We're sitting on block height 779,524. Price of one Bitcoin is trading at 22,377 US dollars. One US dollar will buy you 4,470 Satoshis. Satoshis are the smallest subunits that Bitcoin can be broken down into. One Bitcoin subdivides into 100 million Satoshis. Just to give you an idea, I said one US dollar would will get you 4400 satoshis somebody um like uh, sent me something like 150 satoshis for one of my episodes uh, uh like a couple weeks back so 150 like $1 was 4400 satoshis so he sent me 150 so it's a tiny tiny amount right like i think 150 satoshis is maybe like 5 cents or less even i think so it's pretty cool that you can do that. I really like this fountain app thing. I've been using it, streaming, you know, Satoshi's to people whose podcast I'm listening to. And it feels good. So if you like it, 
please let me know that you've downloaded the app. I'll send you some Satoshis to your uh, podcast app wallet. You can support either my show or other people's shows, other podcasts that you like. Whoever's got a podcast, it's very easy to set up to start receiving payment if people listen to it. You know, it's, it's this value for value model. You get a little bit of value from listening to the podcast. Why not give a little bit back? Like, you know, three cents back. If that was the value that you can give that. Why not? It's possible to do it with the technology. So anyway, for the Bitcoin part of this podcast, I thought I would read an excerpt from this book that I've been reading that I've been really enjoying that is really popular among Bitcoiners. It's called Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand. It's a really good book. It's also popular among libertarian circles. If you've heard of it and read it, let me know what you thought about it. Send me an email, jmartfit at substack.com. But so far, I'm really enjoying it. I'm about a slightly more than a third of the way through now. It's a, it's a long one. It's like it's a thousand pager. <laughs> so strap yourself in for a long ride if you're interested in, in checking it out for yourself. But the reason why this book is so popular amongst Bitcoiners is it really breaks down how money can be used to control people, society in general. And there's this excerpt that I thought I'd share where it talks about what is money. And that is a common question that Bitcoiners, I think, talk about because most people don't really understand, right, what money is. They're like, oh, paper, you know, it's just a medium of exchange. But, you know, why is it that, right? Like most people don't know. They're just like, oh, I just use money. I can give money to somebody and they give me some stuff back for it. So I know it works. That's all I need to know. They don't question it any deeper than that, but is a it's an important question that is worth investigating further. So in this book called Atlas Shrugged by Anne Rand, there's this um, uh, character named uh, Francisco Danconia. He's like this wealthy industrialist who uh, owns these uh, copper mines, and he's a bit of a frivolous uh, playboy squandering his wealth at least so far into the book but I'm I'm pretty sure it's going to be like there's going to be a switcheroo later on that's what it seems like they're setting up but so far that's all I know about him but he's he, he's also very smart and but because he's a bit of a playboy like people think less of him and, so, and stuff like that um, so there's this uh, one scene where another character uh, is talking to a woman and he's saying uh, about this Francisco Danconia character. He says, don't let him disturb you. You know, money is the root of all evil and he's the typical product of money. So money is the root of all evil. I'm sure you've heard that phrase before. It's a common thing people say, you know, because I guess people want money and they'll do anything for it so they'll even turn to doing evil things okay maybe but here is the response that francisco d'anconia has to that phrase the money is the root of all evil so you think that money is the root of all evil said francisco d'anconia have you ever asked what is the root of money Money is a tool of exchange, which can't exist unless there are goods produced and men able to produce them. 
Money is the material shape of the principle that men who wish to deal with one another must deal by trade and give value for value. Money is not the tool of the moochers who claim your product by tears or of the looters who take it from you by force. Money is made possible only by the men who produce. Is that what you consider evil? Right? Like you can, you need money to be able to trade for products and services, right? Somebody has to create a product of value that you want or pr produce some sort of service, provide some sort of service that you want. And then money is useful for you to trade for that, right? Because if you don't have money, then you have to barter. But then most of the time, the thing you have to offer that, you know, in exchange is not the thing that the other person wants. So you need that medium of exchange. That's where money comes in. So why would money be the root of all evil if it facilitates voluntary, consensual, mutually consensual trade between two parties? It's not. It's just not. Moving on, Francisco Danconia says, when you accept money in payment for your effort, you do so only on the conviction that you will exchange it for the product of the effort of others. It is not the moochers or the looters who give value to money. Not an ocean of tears, nor all the guns in the world can transform those pieces of paper in your wallet into the bread you will need to survive tomorrow. Those pieces of paper, which should have been gold, are a token of honor. Your claim upon the energy of men who produce. Your wallet is your statement of hope that somewhere in the world around you, there are men who will not default on that moral principle, which is the root of money. Is that what you consider evil? Such a good part of the book. Like he goes on like a four and a half page, like monologue about <laughs> what money is and yeah, this is an important point where, you, where he says that money is not the thing that you want. It's just that the fact that you trust that you can use money to give to somebody else to get that thing that you want. So we don't want money. We want the things that money can buy. And again, why is that evil? It's just not. It's just it's it's a tool that helps you exchange. Tools can be used for good or for evil. I won't read the entire four and a half pages of him going on about what money is, but there's a couple more important uh, chunks that I want to read out. Here we go. To trade by means of money is the code of men of goodwill. Money rests on the axiom that every man is the owner of his mind and his effort. Money allows no power to prescribe the value of your effort except the voluntary choice of the man who is willing to trade you his effort in return. Money permits you to obtain for your goods and your labor that which they are worth to the men who buy them, but no more. Money permits no deals except those to mutual benefit by the unforced judgment of the traders. Money demands of you the recognition that men must work for their own benefit not for their own injury, for their gain, not their loss. The recognition that they are not beasts of burden, born to carry the weight of their misery, that you must offer them values, not wounds. 
that the common bond among men is not the exchange of suffering, but the exchange of goods. Money demands that you sell not your weakness to men's stupidity, but your talent to their reason. It demands that you buy not the shoddiest they offer, but the best that your money can find. And when men live by trade, with reason, not force as their final arbiter, it is the best product that wins, the best performance, the man of best judgment and highest ability. And the degree of a man's productiveness is the degree of his reward. This is the code of existence, whose tool and symbol is money. Is that what you consider evil? Yeah, exactly, right? Like I already mentioned the mutually beneficial thing. But another important point here is like money is the way we know that something's good and something's not, right? Like if something's cheap, we're like, oh, lower quality probably. Something's more expensive, oh, it must be higher quality. It must be real genuine leather. That's why it's so expensive, right? That's like really hard steel. That's why that's why it's so expensive. It's not going to break easily. Right. With money, you can more easily create a hierarchy of what is the best in a certain category. And what and that's obviously very useful information. <laughs> right. What is good and what is not. Money helps figure that out. It's a way of communicating. It's a tool of communication. How could that be bad? Okay, I'm going to skip a couple uh, paragraphs ahead here. He says, Money is your means of survival. The verdict you pronounce upon the source of your livelihood is the verdict you pronounce upon your life. If the source is corrupt, you have damned your own existence. Did you get your money by fraud? By pandering to men's vices or men's stupidity? By catering to fools in the hope of getting more than your ability deserves? By lowering your standards, by doing work you despise for purchases you scorn. If so, then your money will not give you a moment's or penny's worth of joy. Then all the things you buy will become not a tribute to you, but a reproach. Not an achievement, but a reminder of shame. Then you'll scream that money is evil. Evil because it would not pinch hit for your self-respect. Evil because it would not let you enjoy your depravity. Is that the root of your hatred of money? Again, I think the author Anne Rand here is trying to point out that money's just a tool and how you get it is just as important on determining how successful you are at using it as a tool, right? Like if you're getting money in a, where, in a way where you're stealing it or you're earning it by like fooling people, scamming people, yeah, your money's going to make you feel like shit and you will think that money's the root of all evil. But if you actually earn it because you're providing value to somebody through your products and services, why should you feel bad about that? You shouldn't. That's how people show you that they support you, <laughs> right? That's what I'm saying. Like if you're getting value out of this podcast and you want to support, an easy way is you download this Fountain app and then you can support like three cents for <laughs> like 150 satoshis or less right for for whatever for you're listening to an episode and boom and you're you're providing value for value and money is the tool for that 
yeah, obviously, if, if it was the other way, if like you you were listening to the podcast and you didn't want to give me money, but somehow the app worked in such a way that it stole the money out of your out of your wallet, then that would suck. That would suck for you, and it would suck for me too. Eventually. Okay, one last paragraph about money, and then I'm done about it. It says Francisco Danconio. He says. Or did you say it's the love of money that's the root of all evil? To love a thing is to know and love its nature. To love money is to know and love the fact that money is the creation of the best power within you and your passkey to trade your effort for the effort of the best among men. It's the person who would sell his soul for a nickel who is loudest at proclaiming his hatred of money, and he has good reason to hate it. The lovers of money are willing to work for it. They know they are able to deserve it. Yeah, exactly. If you work hard and you do something good and other people like it and they value it, why shouldn't you get money? But we live in this world now where, you know, people who are rich are looked down upon because people think, oh, the only way you could have gotten rich is by screwing other people over. Maybe. Or maybe you just did something that other people really valued and appreciated and you didn't need to screw anybody over. That's possible too. Just, it's again, it's a tool. Depends on how you use it and how good of a tool it is, right? If it's fiat money and it can just be created out of thin air, then yeah, you're going to, if someone has the control to create money out of thin air, it's going to screw somebody over usually poor people over but if you got good money that can't that can't happen to right that like bitcoin then it can be used as a tool for good all right there you go friends and fam that's it for this week thank you so much for listening to the end of the podcast really appreciate you all who make it to the end i hope you liked today's episode uh, sorry about skipping last week i went on vacation every once in a while that's going to happen but i'm back at it don't forget to stay active, be grateful, Jay Mart out.